0: Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. Good morning. So this morning's reading is coming from Leviticus chapter 23 starting with verse 39 on the fifteenth day of the seventh month when you have gathered in the produce of the land you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days on the first day shall be a solemn rest and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest and you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees branches of palm trees and boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations, and you shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell In booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt I am the Lord your God And thus Moses declared to the people of Israel The appointed feasts of the Lord And at the end of that Forty years of wandering in the wilderness Moses had brought the people to the banks of the Jordan So that they would finally Cross Jordan into the land That God had promised their forefathers 500 years ago Now, Moses had brought them there, and he had met with God in that tent of meeting that entire time. But he was not allowed to go into that promised land. That was not his destiny. And so, Deuteronomy is Moses' swan song to his people. It's it's the culmination of the law and everything that he wants his people to know. He said, you will go into this land, and these people will worship many gods, and they do not know love. And so you are my holy people. You are set apart to worship only one God, and you do know love. And so the Shema is the beginning of this swan song of Deuteronomy to the people of God. And so let's recite it. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Baruch Shem Kavod Malkuto, Leolam Vayed Blessed be the name of his glorious kingdom forever and ever. Ve'ahavta Adonai Elochecha, Bechol Levavcha, Uvechol Nevshecha And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever.
1: I had it on mute. I did, did. I did nothing. All right. Good morning, um, everybody. Doing okay? Hanging in there? Uh, kids, elevate. We're going to get you out of here because uh, we're going to use some s- this space to get airflow. So elevate. Uh, first and second grade, if you want to go back there with the Bannons, uh, they are back there, and uh, the rest of us will hang in here. And this morning we're going to finish up uh, our sermon series that we've been doing through, kind of through the summer, but through the last couple months on these seven feasts and festivals uh, throughout, um, I can't talk and look in my Bible at the same time, Uh, throughout uh, Leviticus 23, the feasts and festivals that God has given his people to celebrate the rhythms, how they practiced that, what they were for, uh, and all of that, and what we celebrated already this morning, we celebrated baptism, which is, which is really a celebration that God is still at work. Uh, as, as Travis just said, God was at work uh, in this day and age, leading his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, uh, into freedom, into the promised land, and that is he is still at work today, freeing us from our sin uh, and from the things that bind us, to follow him, uh, to bear his image in the world around us. Uh, to be a faithful presentation of this good and merciful God, um, and so uh, we celebrated that that God's faithful from generation to generation. And then this morning we're also going to look at this final celebration that God gives in the uh, in the year uh, in in the Jewish year, but the final one in this uh, uh, in the uh, passage of Leviticus 23, called the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot. And really, whichever one you want to use is totally fine. For the sake of ease, I'm going to say Feast of Booths this morning. Um, And this will wrap up our our series um, through these feasts and festivals. And again, these are designed for us to remember and recall. These were designed for the people of God to remember and recall all that God has done, what he wants from them, what this covenant means. Uh, And we have... Times of ordained rest on a weekly basis where God says to his people, cease from labor and trust me. Rest is actually an active trust. It's not simply to escape and, and entertain and, and empty our minds. It's actually an active trust to say, I can't control the world and I have to take my hands off for a day. Ah. <laughs> uh, and then he gives us other—he gives his people other um, feasts and festivals for them to practice, to remember his provision, his miraculous de- uh, deliverance, to anticipate the ways he would provide in the harvest and the grains and, uh, and all of those things. And then this morning, uh, we will look at how we praise God for the harvest and his provision. So the feast we'll look at this morning is the Feast of Booths. And the basic outline, we're going to look at the origin, the celebration, and the hope of the Feast of Booths. Um, So, this starts on the 15th day of Tishri, which for those of you keeping count, that's the seventh month, that's five days after the 10th day of Tishri, which is the day of what? Anybody remember? Atonement, great. (laughs) Robust memory here, this is awesome. and 10 days of repentance into the month of Tishri, the seventh month, and then five days after that is this celebration, the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur is a very, uh, is a very uh, subdued and heavy day, um, but the preparations for celebration uh, are, are huge. It usually happens in September, October timeframe in, uh, in our timeframe. And the people, were to, they were to construct a Sukkot or a Sukkah. Uh, they would dwell on those for seven days and they would use the fruit and foliage of the harvest to decorate and to feast on. And we'll get a little bit more uh, into that, but this was both part of the feast and part of the decor. And the celebration took place pretty quickly after the Day of Atonement. The harvest had been fully gathered and it was a time to celebrate. It was a time to celebrate, to remember, to be grateful and, and to party um, for seven days. So. Uh, as we get into this, I want to do an exercise. I want to do a little walk through time, okay? Um, I want you to imagine you're sitting down with a, maybe a great grandparent, or for some of you, maybe a great, great, great grandparent, uh, depending on how young you are. Think of you're going back like 75 to 100 years. I'm not going to say 50 years because I'm way too close to that. <laughs> uh, 75 or 100 years. Um, let's just say 100 years, all right? and you're gonna, you want to explain to somebody the technological advances of where we're at right now from from them from 100 years ago. Think about how you would explain that to them. The things that have taken place that they could only dream of. Does anybody remember uh, the Carousel of Progress at Disney World? We, we did one day with our kids at Disney World and it was 180 degrees outside and we went to the Carousel of Progress because there was no line. Uh, it had not changed since I was a kid, so the progress had not progressed very much. And they're like, look, TVs. And you're like, this is lame. Um, and, uh, and, but it was air conditioned, so it was enough, right? That technology worked. Uh, but think about like how you, do you remember sitting in that and being like, oh my gosh, the future. How awesome is that going to be? Uh, when we pull up to pick our kids up from school, we have a minivan so I will like, press a button. I think about this every time. I press a button and the door opens for my kids. They will never have to like, slam the absolute mess out of that thing, causing damage to the car four or five times before it actually catches. Except we did have just free advice. We had one break and it was $1,000 to fix it or you just cut the wire and go old school. and You can cut the wire for free. Um, life hack, right there you go. Um, how would you explain that? How would you explain movies and entertainment? Like, remember when a VHS was like the epitome of technology? Like, was, we can watch this movie anytime after we rewind it, and if you watch it too many times, it'll it'll mess up and all that. How would you how would you explain download speeds? And and I have to, is download speed still a thing? Is that, okay, we still have those. All right. I didn't know if we had gotten fast enough or whatever. How would you explain email? Or texting? Or, oh, God forbid, social media? How would you explain photography? You know, like a lot of photographers, it's almost like going out of business because everybody can take better pictures with their phone. Um, And then on that, like how do you explain to somebody that you can do all of these things like on this, on your phone? And here's the thing, I'm looking out to see this like sense of, wow. And you all are like, yeah. None of you are, like, amazed right now. Keep that in mind. None of you are amazed. One of my favorite uh, comedians, one of my favorite stand-up comedians is Gary Goldman, and uh, he has a bit about the phone. (laughs) He's like, he talks about how his mom has, like, phone 1.0 and how she was confined to, you know, for 115 years, she was confined to a six-foot diameter in the kitchen because she never complained, but we complain, and we get everything on our phones, and he's like, You don't even call me on this thing. You text me first and find out if I'm taking calls. Uh, And I will give you a window. And he's like, For me, the phone is like this seldom used app on my phone. Did that. All right. We don't even talk on these things anymore. (laughs) Still call the phone. Um, Do you remember? Do you remember having to listen to, having to go through every voicemail in the order in which it was received? Yes. Oh my gosh. And then, like, it would record onto a cassette tape on a machine. You remember cassette tapes? All of this. Okay, let, we'll, we'll keep going with this. Uh, how many of you remember your childhood phone number? 946 4340. And, and this was before the 636 area code. I had to fill out a thing for my son, an application for my son this week, and they asked for his phone number. <laughs> and I looked it up, and I was still like, this doesn't look familiar to me at all. <laughs> I did remember his birth date. I had that without looking. Or what about for, for St. Louis natives? 321-1111. Time and temperature. We had to make a phone call to find out what time it was. (laughs) And that was only 40 years ago. Oh my gosh, that was 40 years ago. All right, or 411, what did you call 411 for? Information, very limited information, not even close to this. But again, Gary Goldman, he's like, they're still there. They still have that number, it's still in operation. They're not expecting your call. <laughs> I mean, we can go on and on. Uh, the latest Top Gun movie, if you haven't seen it, they have this ancient artifact of a machine that they don't even know if it still works anymore. It's just an old, like, like flying a sunken treasure ship, the F-14 Tomcat. This is thrown out for all you Boeing guys. The F-14, it's like ancient. Does it even work anymore? And I'm like, this is this this was state of the art technology. And now it's ancient. I don't even know how, how long I don't even know how old Tom Cruise is. Um, so imagine sitting down with someone and telling them about all these things. Shopping from home. We go to school now, if it snows out, or even a threat of snow, St. Charles. We go to school online. And then you'd have to explain what online means. Because I think about what that would mean to somebody a hundred years ago. Like you're walking on, what does that even mean? Imagine sitting down and explaining to somebody all of this technology, their reaction, their astonishment. They're awe and wonder. Do you remember thinking about this stuff as like, like watching the Jetsons as a kid and being like, oh, my goodness, can you imagine what life will be like if we could do all that from our pocket, from our phone? And I wonder if they would respond and say to us, how amazing, how wonderful, things we could only dream of, and they are literally at the tips of your finger." The future must be wonderful. You'd have time to do all the important stuff? All this time to spend with family and friends? To be present? I bet, I bet, I bet they would say this. I bet that must be the healthiest, happiest, most content generation of all time. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> oh man, and we would be like, well, no, not yet because next year the new iPhone XL27 Infinity comes out, and then, right, here's the truth about the human heart. Awe and wonder tend to be short-lived in the human heart. Um, And the reality is, it tends to be that the more we get, the more we want. The origin of the Feast of Booths, uh, it is the completion of the harvest. It's God's provision, God's presence, but specifically it recalls when God provided after he had delivered his people out of Egypt, and they were in the wilderness, and he provided food, and he provided water, and he provided safety, and when all they had was God, they had enough. And this feast and this festival is designed to remember that and recall that. So here's how the celebration went. And I think we're going to have some, the, the kids in Elevate did uh, some, uh, some building uh, last week. You'll see some of the shelters that they put. But there was, um, you would build an outdoor structure and they're built outside because they're designed to recall and remember uh... the time in the wilderness when they were out when the people of god were outside an active going back in time and remembering when all they had was God. here's some general rules and there's many interpretations on how to build these structures but i found it fascinating you can build it out of any material though it is heavily suggested and emphasized that you build it out of a natural material not a produced material something that would come from a harvest It's big enough to fit, I love this, big enough to fit the majority of a man in and a table. Which we built a little model sukkot over here or sukkah over here, which you could fit the majority of a person in with that table. A lot of them are bigger. The roof is to be covered with thatch or branches. We definitely cheated on that. Those are supposed to be natural and ours are plastic. and it's okay. There's many people that cheat on that as well. We'll, we'll plead for God's grace there. Um, but they were supposed to be branches of trees, reads, the gifts of God from the soil. The roofing should have more shade than sun. And you're also not allowed to build it in the shade of a tree or another structure that would provide manufactured shade. The roof was the, one, the thing that was supposed to provide the shade, more shade than sun. Um, and uh, it was to be three-sided because it was not a complete structure this is not meant for an eternal dwelling this is meant as a temporary dwelling it was supposed to withstand uh, a certain amount of wind but also supposed to be a little bit unstable because again this is not permanent Um, And this is not something you keep up all year. But it is something that you can start building. I thought this was interesting. Something you can start building immediately after Yom Kippur, even if, and this is a big deal, it's not going to be a big deal to you, but it is a big deal, even if it was on a Friday, which would be Sabbath. What's interesting about Yom Kippur, in all of the other feasts and festivals that we covered, if they fall on a Sabbath day, Sabbath takes precedence. You follow the Sabbath rules over and above these, even if you put it off a day for the celebration. But Yom Kippur is different. Day of Atonement is different. It is the highest of holy days. And on that day, that takes precedent whether it falls on a Sabbath or not. The rule's there. And so you could start building uh, your booth immediately after Yom Kippur. And then starting on the 15th day of Tishri, which is the seventh month, for seven days, you are to dwell which most now commonly practice that as dining, feasting. So most people will not stay in the sukkah for the week. They will dine there. They will hold celebrations there to dwell there for a week. Um, There are processions, waving the lulav and the etrog. Did I pronounce those even remotely, right, Amy? Okay. Which are, it's it's like an ancient Jewish bouquet, Uh, of branches and fruit. And the celebration and the feasting and the partying out in the sukkah, it happens for a full week. Um, And at the end of the week, one of the additions the rabbis made uh, to the celebration was to send a priest with a golden pitcher to the Pool of Siloam. And he would bring back a water offering, and he would pour out that water offering before the altar of the Lord. And that was both Gratitude and remembering God's provision of water as He poured out water to them when they were in the wilderness. But it is also something very important that happens in an agricultural society after the harvest is the rainy season. And so this was an offering to God, pleading and prayerfully asking God for a good and healthy season of rain. And so they would pour out the water. It is, and I think this is beautiful. In John chapter 7, it is believed that at this feast, at this festival, Jesus walked into the temple. He was wanted by the religious leaders at this time, but he snuck into the temple in John chapter 7, verses 37 through 38. It says this, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. Remember, this is during the water offering. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, the scripture has said, on this, uh, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In other words, Jesus saying, I am that provision of water. Living water. There is so much about this festival and the origins of it that I love. You'll hear me say it about a million times more here. It is celebratory. It is good. It is a feasting unto the Lord and a gratitude And so much of what is uh, involved and remembered and celebrated is, it's essentially this fully immersive practice of Deuteronomy chapter 6, which Travis talks about the Shema. And then right after the Shema, Moses gives this warning, um, but it's more just a, a practice. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you didn't build, and houses full of all good things that you didn't fill, and cisterns that you didn't dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you didn't plant, and when you eat and are full, take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Remembering every year, at the conclusion of the year, at the conclusion of the harvest, that all we have is a gift from God. That it is all God's provision. That all that we are and all that we have is the king's stuff. And when we only have God, we have enough. We have the one who supplies every need. It's actually the picture of the joy of dependence. That all the other stuff in our lives, the technology, uh, promotions, advancements, money, our rights, our affirmations, our influence, our affluence, these can be gifts to be stewarded joyfully and generously, but they make for lousy gods. They will ask for everything you have and a little bit more. Another element of the feasts and festivals that occurred, um, not just the annual rotation, but actually the rhythm of rhythms. And so even even the years had a rhythm. Every seventh year was a Sabbath, uh, Sabbath year. And so every seventh year, what happened on the Sabbath year uh, we read a lot about servanthood and slavery in the Old Testament. If you've ever read that and gone, man, we have a tendency to think American slavery, chattel slavery where people owned as property, where we raided properties and took people out of their countries. This is not ancient civilization. I'm not saying that it was great, uh, but I am saying it was different. You didn't have, like, when we take out a loan in our day, we pay it back with bills. Uh, you didn't have necessarily bills and coins in ancient days, and many, much of the economy was set up. If you, had to, if you had a debt to pay, you would work it off, all right? In some ways, uh, and that meant you would serve on a land, on a property, sometimes you actually lived in that household and were a part of that household, um, and, and that was your source of feeding and how to take care of yourself. In a lot of ways, it functioned as a social safety net. Um, Every seventh year, the Sabbath year, the debts were canceled. The goal was a fresh start. The goal was to prevent debt from piling on top of debt to piling on top of more debt. And remember, we talked about this earlier. We are very, very, very individualistic in our day. We look at me and my family maybe. this was very communal. They saw their people as a whole. Now, it was their people against other people. All nations kind of function this way. But you cared about your people as a whole. And so this is not something you would take advantage of. This is something we were kind of all in it together. Various nations, this functioned differently. It wasn't as ideal as we might think. Um, sometimes functioning as a whole meant uh, people that were a drain on, on uh, our whole were put aside and went hungry for the sake of soldiers and more important people. But, but generally, especially in Israel, you function as a whole. What was unusual about Israel, unique amongst all the nations, is God put this rule in place. This was incredibly different than any other nation. When he would say the laws that apply to you should also apply to the foreigners who dwell among you. They should be equal. Not lesser, not worse, not more. No nation would have functioned more. But they would apply equally to those who are among you. So this law would apply equally to the native Israelite and to a foreigner who would dwell among them. Every seven years, the Sabbath year, the debts were forgiven. Um, The land also got a break on the seventh year. You couldn't plant or till. You You could, whatever grew out of the land, you could eat and you could feast on, but... Uh, the land itself got a rest. And then every seventh Sabbath year, mathematicians, it's, every 40, it's actually every 50th year, but every seventh seventh year uh, was called, anybody know this? Year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee not only did it function as a Sabbath year uh, where servants and slaves were set free, but also land was to be returned to the familial claim. So if you had lost your land, if your dad did something to, to lose land, or if you had a massive debt, or if you had a famine, or if you, there was a fire, or whatever may have happened, and you lost your land, the year of Jubilee was this year where God put things back to right. Lands, you re- released your claim on your land, and people who had lost their land uh, got it back. Again, a fresh start. Now, uh, a couple things. We may look at this and go, man. That's the way to do it right there. That's ideal right there. Well, before we get too excited, there's actually not a record of that ever actually happening. But it is the character of God. It does reveal the character of God. It does reveal the nature of God. It does paint us a foretaste, and the year jubilee was supposed to be a foretaste of what one day will be. Okay, now. Let me, let me take just a second and step over here before some people get uncomfortable or some people get mad. Um, we go back and forth, depending on if you're conservative or progressive, we go back and forth on when we should use the Bible and apply it to governmental law. Right? When, well, this is how Christians should be, versus, well, we're not a theocracy. Right? Uh, and, and both sides do it. We are hippocrits, big time. We want kind of like Christian values over here, but like this and returning all the land back. That's not theirs. That's socialism. (laughs) Let's be careful when we call for a Christianized theocracy. I don't care how our government does this. I'm not calling on earthly governments to do this. This reflects the character of God. And if you're a follower of Jesus, we ought to be very concerned with the character of God. And this is a foretaste. One day, he would set the world to rights. One day, he would restore all things, and the poor would rejoice. Immediately following the Feast of Booths is a day called Simchat Torah. And this is the scrolls are paraded around the synagogue. Children participate. There are several ways to honor people for their service throughout the year. They would read the ending portions of Deuteronomy together, and they would rejoice on that. And then kind of like right at the stroke of midnight, you would start right back over with Genesis and read through the Torah again, which is, I think is a beautiful picture. What do we do when we get to the end? We go right back to the beginning. So these feasts and festivals that we've gone through over the last several weeks, they have been I hope they have been informative and helpful and encouraging to you. I hope they have given some depth. Um, And to me, uh, uncovering some of the rhythms and the meanings involved has been both like settling and amazing all at once. And all the more, just how much Jesus fulfills every detail of this. And he doesn't fulfill in the sense where he goes, Ah don't even worry about these anymore. He fulfills them in the sense of saying, "This is not about how well you perform these, but this is still about living in these rhythms and recalling and remembering what God has done and what He has accomplished." And he just explodes the implications. Uh, I will let you know we have a ton of this info on the app. Uh, If you want to go through and celebrate, we have books and references. I would love for us even corporately as a church in our GCs or in families to institute some of these practices and these rhythms throughout the year. Um, That these would affect our lives. We begin to see what's important. We see how God designed us to be. We recall all that God has accomplished. We're reminded how we are to live in response to who he is and what he's done. It is to foster awe and wonder that are in such short supply in our hearts and minds. Um, And we can get inundated and overwhelmed uh, with where our true hope fully rests. Uh, For the follower of Jesus, the Feast of Booths is often associated with the presence of the Holy Spirit, the pouring out of The Holy Spirit, his dwelling with us, and his ongoing provision, especially the Holy Spirit, and his provision of life and giving us life for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Again, it recalls God's presence and his provision in the wilderness that he was with his people. And it was the reminder to Israel that their hope was not in structures or in land, though God would give them both of those things. And their hope was not in the temple or the city, though God would give them both both of those things. And their hope was not in nation building or kings, though God would reluctantly give them both of those things. Israel's hope was in the presence of God, a strong tower and grace to help in time of need. And so the Feast of Booths is celebratory, but it's also a time to kind of clear out a lot of the present-day distractions and remind us our ultimate, our, our ultimate hope is not in the accumulation of stuff or money. It's not in the next iPhone release or whatever Android does. <laughs> I don't even know what they do. Are they still around? Is there still Android? I'm kidding. That's so, no, you turned me off now. Nobody's ever going to listen to me again. Um, well, half of you will. Um, where, where we, that our hope is not in the latest technology that comes out someday, that finally satisfies all of our deepest longings. This year we're gonna get it. Our hope is not in our side winning. Our hope is not in political power. Our hope is not even really even in just everybody getting along. Can't we all just get along? Our hope is not in that promotion, the new house, our hope is not in marriage or some other person, that if we just had this relationship, that would do it. We sang last week. We'll do, it. we'll do one more this week. For the follower of Jesus, sing with me. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Sing it, church. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is
0: sinking sand.
1: Here's your assignment for this week. I want you to practice gratitude. I want you to practice being grateful. I want you to take a survey of your stuff. And not like in the old man yells at cloud type of way. Like don't don't survey your stuff like with all the shoulds, right? I shouldn't have this and I shouldn't. Like not, not guilt and shame, but actual gratitude. I want you to see how much you can be thankful for this week. Your home, shelter, your car, your relationships, your income, your food, even your technology. And here's the thing. I'm not going to put out like the carte blanche statement of like you should sell everything you own. What I am going to say though, and what I can definitively say as a calling, is that we are to steward joyfully and generously everything that we own. That all that we have and all that we are is the king's stuff. And he has bid us to be generous with his stuff. Dan White, who is a pastor, kind of a pastor for pastors, um, he put it this way. He talks about when we are rooted in Christ like this, when our identity rests there, we can bless others without envying their successes. We can challenge others without needing to control them. We can do good to others without needing applause. We can disagree with others without impugning them or needing to condemn and we can receive critique from others without being defensive or growing in resentment. The greatest hope for the follower of Jesus is not that God will fix all your problems. The greatest promise in Scripture is not God will fix all your problems. Because if he fixed all of your problems today, guess what tomorrow brings? Problems. The greatest hope for the Christian is not that we could accumulate just a little bit more that we could have a little bit more. Once I get this promotion, then. Once we get past this busy season, then. Once, oh, you can rejoice with me on this one, parents of young kids. Once the season ends, then. That has a little bit of truth to it. All right, that does have a little bit of truth. Um, The greatest promise that we have as followers of Jesus is God's presence. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you. He has provided life, and one day we will experience that fully. The hope of the end of all time is not that we get taken away to a galaxy far, far away in this ethereal plane that we sit on clouds and look down on everything. The the fulfillment of all time is the presence of God. Like, that. that's our ultimate destination. And... The the culmination of the Feast of Booths at the end of all of these, I think, is beautiful. The harvest gathered, removing all the distractions where all we have is all we need to sit and dwell and feast and celebrate and party in the presence of God. One day, the atonement has been made, the harvest fully gathered, the heavenly city will descend, and John writes this a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more, no more mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And then he who is seated on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for these reminders. Um, I get so caught up in finding my hope in lesser things. And I think when we find our, our ultimate hope in your presence, The lesser things take their proper spot. Not that there's not a time to voice our concerns. Not that there's not a time to raise our voices. um, But when we treat these lesser kingdoms as gods, we treat these lesser kingdoms as our ultimate hope, uh, we get lost. So thank you for putting these things in place to remind your people, take care lest you forget where everything you have, your very breath lest you forget where it comes from. And so I pray that this week especially we would sit in gratitude. We would take a survey of our stuff. And yeah, there may be some things, there are probably going to be some things that we don't need. There's a whole lot that we don't need. Um, But as we survey all of our stuff, I pray that you would fill our hearts first things first, not just a a list of condemnation of, well, we should get rid of that, we shouldn't have, but a list of, a, a, a heart of Gratitude. I think that's what pushes us toward generosity, to reflect a God who is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Thank you for the morning, for gathering together, for celebrating new life uh, in you and life in you, Uh, and I pray that as we go from this place we remember today uh, where our hope lies, and that everything else would be put in its proper place. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.